0: Hey, take your... uh, It used to be, uh, I would say, something like, um, you know, take your Bibles and turn, and in this case, turn to Acts 3, and uh, sometimes it's like, you know what, the greatest sound in the world is the pages of the Bible uh, wrestling, and now so many of you use, like, your phone, and so now it's like the sweetest look is the glow of a device as you turn, whatever it is, whether it's a device... Or whether it's paperback, we're going to be in Acts 3. And so, uh, again, great, great, great to see you. Uh, I want to say hello to the other Biltmore Church campuses. Campuses We just talk about Biltmore Church is distributed around uh, western uh, North Carolina. Uh, I want to say hello to our friends also at Bunkin County Detention Center. Um, man, we're just thrilled with what God's doing at each and every place. And if you're watching online, you got a few folks here. Ed and Donna from Fort Smith, Arkansas. All right, Pig Suey. I know you guys are pretty excited about your team this year. Uh, Robert from Myrtle Beach, right? Robert, we have a good church for you in Myrtle Beach. As a matter of fact, uh, hey, Biltmore Church, the church plant that uh, we sent out, I can't remember, four or five months ago with Jeremy Woods, our chairman of the deacons went with him, a number of folks went with him. They actually are starting today in Myrtle Beach at the at Coastal <laughs> Carolina University. All right, so uh, so Robert, I'm sure you'll be getting a visit from them soon. And then uh, Donna and Dennis from Zionsville, what a cool names, Zionsville, uh, Pennsylvania. All right, so, uh, and also, by the way, whatever camp, if you're at a physical campus after the service, please, uh, before you leave, if you're a guest here, man, go by and... uh, uh Introduce yourself or be introduced and talk to the campus pastor, Fiord Arden. Would love to meet you uh, as well after in guest services. And uh, so, Acts chapter 3 is where we are. We are in a series called The Year of the Bible, and we're in a little mini series within the bigger series called The Movement Continues. And it's really about five or six messages out of. Uh, the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the history of the early church. And it's about the first 30 years and it's the largest movement in all of human history. Started with uh, 12 kind of messed up fishermen, carpenters, and tax collectors. Then it grew to 120. And then like right off the bat, 3,000 people come to Christ. It was like the first mega church in history. And then boom, it just exploded. And here we are 2,000 years later in Western North Carolina or Zionsville or Myrtle Beach. And we are, part of that same movement. So if you go to church here very long, two things you will see really, really quickly. First of all, if you see any video stories other than bumpers, what you'll see, probably half of the videos that we do are titled, a general title, it's called God at Work. That's just the general title of stories about uh, what God is doing in people's lives, and that runs the gamut from stories about uh, a is restored, prodigals returning home, Money issues that have been solved, addictions, health, forgiveness, you name it. We just call that stories of God at work because we believe that God is at work. And the book of Acts is all about you know what? God's still at work and he just works now through his body, the local church. And actually, if you, you probably need to know this as well, or it'd be kind of interesting, I think, for you to know it. it uh, every month, there's a staff. All the campuses come together. Every single month, all the staff at all the campuses come together, and we do a bunch of stuff. We worship. We have devotional time. Then, but before we get into things like calendaring and events and what's next and communication and all those things, what we do is we share what is called stories of God at work And what that is, is that is each person from each campus, as they feel led, they stand up in front of everybody else and they basically like, this is what I saw God do in the last month. I saw God do this. I saw God save this student. I saw God break this addiction. I saw God save this person. I saw God put this marriage back together. And the problem, and both those things are awesome, but the problem is when you hear stories like that or you see videos like that, is sometimes you can sit in the audience or sometimes you can actually watch online and when you see these phenomenal stories of God at work, sometimes that little voice in your head says, man, I wish that could be my story one day. Man, I wish God would restore my marriage. Man, I wish I had a story where my prodigal comes home. Man, I wish I could have a story where God restores my health or restores my business I wish I had a story of some awesome, glorious ending with my soul. And um, what we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 3 is really kind of the way God, the pattern that God works. Now, listen, as you probably would expect, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in the sovereignty of God. I believe in the sovereignty of God, that God works how he, you know, when he wants, where he wants, and how he wants. And that's the sovereignty of God. God's in control. God takes orders from nobody at all but there are some patterns that God shows us in the word about how he works. And what we can do is we can put ourselves in position. You can put yourself in position for God to be at work in your life. And kind of what I want you to think about is what is that biggest area of need in your life right now? What's that biggest area of heaviness? The one that keeps you up at night, the biggest area of Let's just say desperation. Desperation comes from the word despair. Despair means the idea of losing hope to such a degree that you will do something out of the ordinary, something radical, something even emotional or unusual. It's like, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't think God's going to do it any longer. What is that area right there? Because what happens is when we get desperate for something, whatever that is, then we will step out of character. We will do something we ordinarily maybe would not do, and you're going to see that in the story. Now, you and I know that. You and I know that when desperation gets high enough, we will do something we wouldn't ordinarily do. I mean, what comes to mind, and this will kind of age me a little bit, and I don't know who's all the ages in here, but some of you, all right, wherever you are, whatever campus you're on, how many of you remember the movie Mrs. Doubtfire? Raise your hand. Look at you. All right. All right, if you're like under 30, you just got to Google it because it's actually it's a great movie, all right? And believe it or not, here's the way the movie goes. It's starring a guy named Robin Williams uh, who was just a comedic genius and the story basically goes like this. Um, he's an actor in this movie. His whole life gets messed up, and it gets up to such a degree, messed up to such a degree, I mean, his wife is like, I'm gone. His wife leaves him, and because his life is so messed up, she gets full custody of the kids. And he is so desperate to see his kids, he actually dresses up like an English housekeeper and then applies for the job at his old home and gets the job. He wants to be around his kids so much, he's like, you know what, I will go to great lengths to make sure that I'm around them. And so the movie is a mixture of, it's it's, it's funny at times, it's inspirational at times, obviously it is sad at times, but it illustrates the fact that we all know if you get desperate enough, if you get desperate enough for something to happen, you will do something out of the norm. And so in Acts chapter 3, you actually see a number of different groups that are Desperate. The ones you didn't think would be desperate, they're desperate. The one you think would be desperate, he actually doesn't seem to show much desperation. So here's the story: you're at the end. At the end of Acts two, three thousand people have come to faith in Jesus. They've repented and embraced Jesus by faith. Peter preached like his first sermon, and it was like awesome. And so you've got crowds, you've got excitement, you've got activity. But out of the excitement of Acts chapter three. God's word and God's people hone in on the individual. And so, one of the things as we kind of come out of this pandemic, we have to remind ourselves, all right, is as we begin to see, you know, waves of different people and we start to build back and all that, we have to understand, even in spite of all the folks, it comes back down to God at work in the individual. And what you see throughout the book of Acts, these big moves of God, but then he sends messengers to individual hurting people. And uh, this is the first miracle in the book of Acts. It involves a guy named Peter and John. They, they heal a guy. And there's actually 14 healings in the book of Acts. He gave the apostles that healing gift to authenticate the message of the gospel. But in this miracle, this miracle has a message, a pattern about the way God works. And what I think you'll see in the story is you'll see not only what might your need be, you know, what are you desperate for? What are you desperate for? Is it that marriage to get back to where it used to be? Is it that prodigal that is destroying your family? Is it that health issue? Is it some, whatever it is, what, it could be about your need. It certainly re- reminds us of what we as a church are as far as what is our mission. And then it actually even touches on, all right, generally speaking, how does God, what is God's purpose for? For your life. So, all that being said, look at Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And I'm just, we're going to work our way through the passage instead of doing the whole thing at once. Let me read it, make some comments, read it, make some comments and principles. So, Acts chapter 3, verse 1 says this Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The ninth hour, all right? So this isn't that transition time. They were Jewish men who had embraced Jesus and they knew the gospel, but they still were going to the temple to pray several times a day. This is 3 p.m., 3 in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried. A man lame from birth. Chapter 4 says this man was over 40 years of age. So what you've got is you've got a person who's gotten used to his condition. He's gotten used to being lame. Maybe when he was early on, maybe he was when he was a kid, or maybe he was like 6 or 7 and maybe a new doctor came into town, his hope got up. Maybe there's a time where he felt like he felt some tingling in his legs and was like, man, I'm going to walk one day, but Month turned into year, year turned into decade, and as we've said here many times before, his hoping turned into coping, and I'm just gonna figure out how to make it along. And so he's lame from birth, he's being carried. We don't know who, friends, family, probably, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. So every single day, this is like every day, his friends would literally physically pick him up and they would bring him to a, the temple and it says that it's called the beautiful gate. Uh, what do you think they would call it beautiful? Come on, hey church, come, come on. What would they call it beautiful? It's beautiful. It's, a, it's not a trick question. It was a beautiful gate. It was like, got all this gold on it and it was a beautiful, beautiful place, but it was beautiful on the outside, but for him it was just almost like a joke. Looked awesome, but he was still lame. But that's where the church people went, and he was going to ask alms or money of those entering the temple. <clears throat> and Check out verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. We're going to come back to that. Look at us. It's kind of not in your you know, how to make uh, friends or win win friends and influence people. It's like, look at us, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. All right, uh, principle number one. How does God work? How does God work? How's God gonna work in my life? One principle that you see is that God works through his people. God works through his people. I mean, the desperation in the man is obvious. 40 plus years old, dependent on others, felt like half a man sometime. It's like, man, I wish I could get my, I wish I could, he's got no job because he can't walk. He's not going to get married because he can't earn a living. You had no social services back then. And so this guy was dependent on being a beggar and asking, and he's kind of shrewd. He's like, I'm going to go to the church. I'm going to camp myself outside the church because they're going there, they're going to worship. They might have a soft heart and I'm going I'm to get some money. And um, again, 40 years is a long time. Now, one of the things we've also talked about when it comes to difficulties, when it comes to desperation, it's typically not the depth of the trial that takes us down. Because if you know, you know what, the trial's going to be difficult, the trial's going to be hard, but you get your connect group to pray for you, you get some people to rally around you, you kind of bow up a little bit, and it's like, I can can make it through that, as long as you know it's going to last a week or a month. So it's not the depth of the trial or even the darkness of the trial. It is the duration of the trial that is the hardest. When is this going to end? When is it going to be different? When is our marriage finally going to turn the corner? When is she coming back home? When am I going to cease, if ever, to have this chronic pain? And so, uh, you know, Proverbs says, uh, hope... uh, um, deferred, which means put off, hope deferred uh, makes the heart sick. And you've been here and you've been like, you know, I've been hoping God would do something. I thought surely during a pandemic, you know, we spend so much time together, surely there would be a breakthrough there. And, you know, here we are 17 months later and it's still nothing has changed at all. And uh, so you're making the best of the bad situation. And that's what he did daily. Every day they'd sit him beside the, the beautiful gate. And he's like looking at these people, the beautiful gate, the beautiful people going into the temple. And he's like, if I could have what they have, if I could just walk like they walk, it would be, it would all change. I remember somebody who, uh, if you go to Alcatraz, that island right off uh, San Francisco, where it's not prison anymore, but it used to be a prison. And if you take a tour there, they'll like give you this audio tour. And one of the things they say in the audio tour that made Alcatraz such a, Difficult place uh, to be in prison is the fact that you could look a mile and a half away and you could see this shiny city of San Francisco, and there you are stuck on a rock in prison. And it's like, it seems so close. It seems so close. I wish I, I can see, but I can't have it. And that's what this guy is. Like, I can see it, but I just can't have it. And so along comes two of God's prepared people. Don't miss that, church. They're prepared. Like, how do you know they're prepared? Because Acts 2 says they're prepared. What are they doing? They're in the word, they're in prayer, they're in community. All right. They're asking God, so they're like, they're like prepared. They're not perfect, but they are prepared people. They'd seen God at work, 3,000 people, and then it says day by day, they get to see people saved. Now, here's what you gotta remember. Talking to a lame man was not on their calendar for the day. They were just going to church. It was an ordinary day. They're just going to church. Talking to a beggar was not on their dream board for the day. Was not on their calendar. It did not say, "Hey, go to church," but before you go into the temple, stop and talk to this beggar because he's wanting some money. Well, I love the. I don't really know exactly all this means. Sometimes it's hard to tell the tone uh, in the scriptures. But it says, uh, verse four. It says, "Look at us! Look at us! Look at us!" And I thought about that. I was like, "Look at us! What does he mean? But look at us!" Maybe he, maybe the idea was that the lame man, his head was down. Maybe it was just 40 years of begging, 40 years of shame, 40 years of rejection. He's just, he's just, his head is down. My situation is dire. I don't like where I am in life. I, I, I feel bad about what I have to do, and his head is down. And that's why you got to understand Psalm 3.3 3 says that God is the lifter of our heads. And maybe you're at church today, or maybe you're watching online, and you know what? Your situation has got you just like this lame man. You're like, you know what, my, I don't like the situation I'm in. I am filled with shame because of my circumstances. And you know what, You're, the God's word for you is like, look up, God will meet you in your situation. So maybe that's what they meant. Look at us. Maybe it's like, not just look at us, maybe it's look at us. I mean, do we look like money? I mean, let, remember, three years, no job. Three years, they themselves have like gone to place to place, dependent on the generosity of other people, just kind of, hey, look at us. What's clear is Peter and John, they do pay attention to him. And then verse 5 says he then paid attention to Peter and John, which is a great reminder, by the way, for us in a culture right now that is anything but a friendly, in a culture right now that is a culture of outrage, In a culture right now, in a day of increased hostility, of stereotypes, of anger, I mean, for a Christian to just simply show empathy, just show some compassion, show some patience to people that might have a different theology of you, might have a lifestyle that is outside of God's clear, revealed will for human flourishing, maybe outside your political persuasion. I mean, you know, it used to almost be hard For people to notice if you were different. I mean, it used to be hard. It used to be hard. You'd have to actually like that to do something kind of awesome. I mean, the baseline now to just stick out in the culture is just don't be a jerk. I mean, that's about, that's like the baseline of all you got to do is just don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk online. Don't be a jerk out there. Don't be a jerk at the grocery store. I mean, that's it. Just don't be a jerk. Have some empathy, have some compassion. I'm not talking about lowering your convictions. I'm just talking about showing some Christ-like empathy, compassion, and some patience with some other folks. Um, when I just there's, there's a study that I looked at, and, and that's really you're talking about, why does nobody listen to me when I try to share the gospel at work? How come nobody listens to me when I try to like give them a track? How come nobody listens to me when we try to reach out to them or invite them to church or a Bible study or my connect group? There was a study that I read that actually said 34% of unbelievers said that they would actually listen to the believer, and actually he's not opposed to it at all, as long as there was some distinctives in that Christian's life. And distinction number one is simply the fact that they treated people differently because of their faith. Do they actually treat people differently because of their faith? And so... uh, you know, we just, when you just look at this, the apostles, their ministry was basically, their ministry was twofold. I mean, they, they did works and they did words. Church, we talk about this all the time. They did stuff and they said stuff. What they said persuaded people and what they did with their hands amazed people. What they said persuaded us. The gospel is an announcement, but what they did actually just stunned people. Remember, the gospel is an announcement that, you know what, and, and that's what will happen. At the end of chapter 3, what you see is, or going past chapter 3, it simply says, Peter gets up and he's like, you know what, you killed the one who died in your place and he rose from the grave and he healed this man and you need to repent and you'll get refreshing and you'll get forgiveness. But also they learned from Jesus it was, it was not either or, it was both and, proclamation and demonstration. When you look at all these healings, by the way, and you look at all these miracles in the book of Acts or in the Gospels, they're not just like random acts of kindness. You understand that? They're actually, they have a message. Every single one of them, they were a message about the goodness and the grace of the Gospel. That's what they were. They weren't magic tricks. They weren't like, hey, come up here, five bucks, come see the magic, man. That's not what they were at all. And uh, by the way, I know some of you are like, man, I don't know about this miracle stuff. Um, What do you think about miracles, Bruce? I'm like, well, here's what I believe. I believe God does miracles today. I do believe that, and we've seen some of them here. I do believe, though, that the day, and I think you can see this in the book of Acts. I think what you see in the book of Acts is you see the day of miracles on demand through the apostles where they just like, boom, you know, th- that happened. I think that day is over. As a matter of fact, you see, the, you see that happening a little bit. You see that in the apostle Paul, all right? He's like, you know what? I prayed this thorn in the flesh would go away, and I prayed three times, and it, it, it didn't happen. Was he, does he lack faith? There's actually a place later on in the Book of Acts. Where it's like, hey, go, 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 see, go see a doctor, and you just need to know that because what you're like, how do I, how do I work through people around me? You want me to show up tomorrow at my, you want me to show up tomorrow and just with my lunch and uh, bless it and expect God to feed five thousand people? Probably not a great idea. You want me to go to the mall and uh, go up to somebody in a wheelchair? And act like Peter and boom, be healed. Probably, probably not a great idea. Probably not a great idea. You want to show up at a funeral? Walk up in front of that church or in front of that family? It's like, ah, she's just sleeping. Rise up, daughter. You want to do that? Security will probably be called. But God does do, still does do, the miracles had a message. Your ministry has a message. You wanna, Here's a little Bible factoid. If you just want to, if you want me to emphasize this, a little, little, little Bible trivia. There's not one single instance of a believer being healed of sickness in the book of Acts. There's not one. You got some believers being raised from the dead. You do not have one single instance of a believer being healed of sickness in the book of Acts, it's always unbelievers. No unbeliever, by the way, gets raised from the dead. No believers get healed. And we're like, I'm not sure exactly what that means is, but I know a principle from there. You're like, does God still heal? Yeah, we do. James chapter 5 says you and I should pray for heal. If I'm getting sick, like when I got cancer six or eight, ten years ago or whenever that was, did I want you to pray? Yeah. Did I go to the doctor? Yes. So I want you to pray. There's nothing wrong with pray that God would heal. But just realize in the midst of it, your pain could be your platform. It's not just, you know, hey, just does God heal us? It's also not just that. It's also how do, we, how do we deal when God does not heal us? The saying goes, God is glorified when sick Christians get well. He's also glorified when sick Christians die well. And so oftentimes, whether it be your cancer, your prodigal, or whether it be your marriage, or whether it be your health, or whether it be your finance, or your company, or whatever, the question you got to ask is, it's like, hey, man, this, while, and while I'm waiting for God to heal and while I'm waiting for God to move, God, let this be my platform because he works through people. It's over and over and over again. That's the way God works. It's not the end of the story. Look at verse six. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. All right, kind of sounds like church people at a restaurant, correct? All right, but Peter said, I have no, no don't, don't at me. All right, I'm just, it's true. All right. All right, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him, don't miss this. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. What a great scene. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, a little more quickly, just a brief little thing. Not only does God work through his people, but God works toward the greatest need. God works toward the greatest need. The miracle is the message about what salvation God can bring to our souls. The guy's looking for money, nothing wrong with that at all. But what they give him is actually better. It's deeper, and instead of money, they gave him physical healing. And eventually, in chapter 4, he actually becomes a disciple of Jesus. And so what he thought he needed, what he thought he had to have, again, is not what they ended up giving him. And so... uh, Again, the guy is probably sitting at the temple each day. He's looking at everybody thinking, if I could just walk, I would never be unhappy again. And we know that's not true, correct? I mean, every, most, most everybody walked into church today and a lot of y'all are unhappy. You're like, man, I'm walking great. I even run great. And what that is, is we all have things like that that we tend toward. If I could just have this, then I would be happy. This is a great reminder that you know what? There's always a, there's a deeper need. I mean, for us, usually the top three, and I've been doing this pastor gig for a long, long time, you know, a long time, but the same, there's some patterns that come back over and over and over again. It's the stuff that I think, if I could just have that, that would satisfy me. And it's usually not if I could walk, then I fall into the same trap. I mean, sometimes it's just stuff. You know, if I could just have stuff, if I could just have stuff, then that would satisfy me. And it's i 've told you before, I love the new smell, correct I, I'm meant to look it up and see what is that thing they put in there when it 's new it doesn 't matter if it 's a new jacket, if it 's a new car if it 's a new sofa i don 't think countertop smell, but everything else has that man it's it 's just intoxicating almost it 's the new stuff, but after a while, after you go around that cul de sac a few times you 're finally like you know what i 'm you go through enough garage sales, it eventually dawns on you, you know what." It wasn't three years ago before I thought that thing was like amazing and if I could just have that. I mean nowadays technology changes so quick you get it and you think about it and all of a sudden it's outdated. So I mean, there's nothing wrong with stuff as long as it don't make it what is going to say that's going to satisfy my my soul. The one that's big for sure in our country right now. I mean, I'm a country and western music fan, but probably eight out of ten country and western songs are about if I could just find that trip. It's not about beer and it's not about grandma. It's about finding that perfect person who hopefully is not grandma. You know, I'm just saying it's it's that it's that deal. If I could just find that person, if I could just find that person, then everything would be awesome. And you know. Then it's, then, the, then, the, then it's about tragedy and about how that broke up and how that whole thing messed up. And again, uh, I would, I'm, not, I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody at all, but it, again, marriage is an amazing thing. It's amazing, all right? It's amazing, okay? If you're married in here, go ahead and count of three, say amazing. One, two, three. That's, That's very good. If you didn't say that and you're married and they're sitting beside you. We have we have very good counseling. All right, so I'm just saying you're because you're gonna need it. But the idea is amazing is great. It is amazing, it's just not the ultimate. It's not the ultimate. How many times have we seen people it's like if I could just find Mr. Wright, if I could just find him, and then she finds him, and then you know, two years later it's like I hate him. We are incompatible. You know why? Because you married a sinner, and that sinner was never meant to satisfy the deepest desires of your broken heart. That's what Jesus is for. That's what Jesus is for. Same way with—I uh, mean, the one that I think about, especially—and I'm, I'm not—I don't want to say that sounds misogynistic. I'll just say for me. But I've noticed in a lot of men is approval. Is approval. Is anything wrong with approval? Nothing wrong with approval at all. Nothing wrong with being successful. You want to be successful. I, we all want nothing wrong with success. But when approval and success becomes what you live life for you understand I mean listen to me when you understand that how much more approval do you need than the fact that Jesus put his resume to your account when you came to him when you came to that's why you're like why do you always quote four or five or six different verses don't you know anymore I actually I actually do but I've got some favorites and the reason I quote some of the same ones is because if you go here for a year I want you to know some verses if the only time you hear them is from me, I want you to understand, like Romans 8.1, I want you to understand when you deal with shame that you can be able to say, you know what, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I want you to understand that what Jesus did on the cross is he traded places with you. And so I'll quote like 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, it made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what theologians call the double imputation. It means the fact that he took your sin on himself, on the cross, and then he took his righteousness and he put it on your account. And if you're in Christ, you're like, I need approval, I need approval. What more approval are you going to ever get than a holy God looking at you and approving of you because of what Christ did? I mean, what are you going to get? You're never, what's that, a gold chain, all right, 30-year watch? Add a boy for your low handicap. That's that's scuba on, all right. That's just not going to satisfy. It's just not. All right, that was off note. So let's go to uh, let's go to verse sixteen. Here's the part I really wanted to get to. So we got. Okay, I'm going to talk quick. You listen quick. Verse sixteen. I know I jumped down a little bit, but listen to it. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And once you see there's this faith, 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 faith. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see. They're preaching, all right? So it goes from the miracle and they preach. It's like a second sermon. Has made this man strong, whom you see and know. In other words, you've seen him here for 40 years. You know he's been lame. Now you see him dancing and boot scooting and two-stepping and all that stuff. And it's like, wow, why, you know he, he couldn't do that. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Here is the part I want, to, I want us to—I want to challenge us on as a church and you individually. This is where it comes down. This is like where this is where it changes. Is that God works through desperate faith? This is the lesson I am learning? God works through desperate faith. Faith is the. If you look in the Bible, almost every time it's either the noun form or the verb form of the word pistuo, which means to trust, to put your weight on. It's not like, oh, I kind of believe that. That's not it. It's the idea of I am placing the entirety of my weight on this, but it's used a few different ways in the Bible, in the New Testament. So you see in the text it says the name, the name. It's talking about the, the name is the person, the work of who Jesus is. And so when it comes to faith, you see about three different ways. One of them is initial faith. Initial faith. That's, that's what some of you need to do. I mean, initial faith. I mean, you're saved by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. So some of you, maybe you're religious, but you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. There's not been a time when you turned from your way of trying to make life work and actually embraced Jesus by faith. By the way, I saw the kids' video that they did on Instagram yesterday, did before, and they were teaching them about the word repentance, and I was like, awesome. They had this five-year-old little girl on there, like, what does repentance mean? And she's like, it means to turn. And I'm like, boom, I'll bet you 90% of adults don't even know that repentance means the turn I'm going this way I'm going that way and so initial faith is you are going one way and you repent and then believe and embrace Jesus by faith that's saving faith that's the way we normally think about it but there's and there's growing faith there's sanctifying faith it's the way that we learn to trust God's promises and you know whether it be about again your identity or about your money or whatever but the part that it's usually not thought about, and honestly, I didn't think about it till this story, and then I started looking around the Bible, and I'm like, man, that, you see that some, and we are just call that intercessory faith, intercessory faith. So look at the story. In the story, they're in verse 16, and he says, the way this guy got healed, the way that everything changed, the way that his whole family lineage, the way that the future of his family changed direction, it says, was by faith in the name. And then he talks to the people. And it's like the way this happened was by faith in his name. Now, again, by the way, I know faith is misused today, and you got a lot of prosperity preachers out there that talk about if you just have enough faith, listen, it's not the amount of your faith, it's the object of your faith, all right? And the object of your faith is not you, the object of your faith is Jesus, all right? So I'm trusting that God's a good God, God's gonna do what's best. I'm saying that's what it means by saying I'm praying in the name of Jesus, you know, under your authority and based on your will. So. Intercessory prayer or intercessory faith, in the story, it's not the man. There's no indication the man is even a believer until chapter 4. None. There's no indication he is a follower of Christ until chapter 4. So whose faith is it? There might be a little bit of the friends and family that maybe, maybe, but you don't really have enough information. And so the only ones left here, the only ones left here are Peter and John are almost like believing for him. They're almost believing for him. Now, now let me be clear: it's when, intercessory faith. Is when like when you're help when you're believing for somebody, and sometimes it's just you got a sister or a brother, and they just having a hard time believing God can do something. I give like, you, and you just you just say, "Hey, I'm believing for you. I'm praying for you," and you won't believe how much great that does. I'm gonna change it a little bit, but I've gotten a couple of these texts from a good preacher friend of mine in the last three or four months. And uh, you know we've got uh, like all of y'all, everybody's got certain things in their family and all that stuff that are really heavy on their heart. And I'm gonna kind of change it, but this I got this one uh, I got this one maybe two months ago, and I got a longer one. I forgot to print out before coming out the preach I was going to read as well. but here's this they're, they're very similar, but this this came, and this is like, I'm believing for you. Because if 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 you don't see the answer to prayer after a while, you do go from hoping to coping. You go from hoping it can change to just coping because it's not happening. And um, hey, man, I'm going out on a little bit of a limb here, but the last several times I prayed for you, Lori, etc., I felt the Holy Spirit impressing on my heart those words from Luke chapter one: "Quote, I have heard your prayer." And he says, he has heard you. He will, he will not let your cry go unheard. As with Zechariah, his response may come in a way and at a time unlike anything you have expected, but in capital letters, but he has heard. I just sensed it very strongly recently as I prayed. He has heard, Bruce, he has heard. Man, that intercessory faith just poured faith into me. It's like, God is good, and I'm not giving up, and I'm not stopping praying. And so sometimes that despair kind of turns into darkness, and you're just like, I don't want to go anymore. I don't want to talk about it because it, because it hurts to hope. It hurts to hope. Hope says, you know what, I need something, and I don't have it. I need something, and I don't have it. And so what you do is you, I don't want to hope because it hurts to hope. And God wants us to come back to hoping today. Again, hoping is not... I hope the Panthers win. That's not it. It's not, a hope the Panthers win. It's a confident expectation that, you know what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of how, and it's just a matter of when. That's what hope is. That's what hope is. We're going to sing a song in about three weeks called, I Believe. And, man, it's about my favorite verse of the last two years. Psalm 27, 13 says, I would have despaired if I did not believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, in the land in which I live. And you need to be able to have a verse that you say, you know what, this is going to build my faith. And you see it all over the Bible, Mark chapter 2. Remember that whole scene where those friends bring that guy to Jesus, they can't get in because all the religious people are crowding around. Isn't that amazing that you could actually be a hindrance to somebody trying to get somebody else to Jesus? It happens all the time. And so what do they do? They actually climb up on the roof and then they let the guy down through the roof. And then what does Jesus say? He says, he says, based on, he looks at the friends and he's like, you know what? Your faith, based on your faith, their faith, he looks at the guy and says, your sins are forgiven. Listen, my theology is not jacked up. I'm not saying somebody else can get saved for you. What I'm saying is there's something to be said because the, the, the man is not asked to be healed. Maybe he's been lame for so long and he stopped believing things could be different. And into that, people fill the gap. And uh, Peter and John just come in there and like, Jesus is good. He loves you and he will help you. And their faith called on Jesus and their faith raised him up. And sometimes the faith of somebody around you, you see somebody and their faith is weak or non-existent. And it's like what you do. I mean, think about it. It's the what you pray for your prodigal. It's what you pray for your prodigal. I mean, their faith is non-existent or if it's there, it's not very strong. And you're like, God, please do something. You got that spouse who walked out on you for a younger model and you're like, God, please get his heart. It's not glorifying to you at all. You got a friend that's around you and you're like, God, they're so far from the Lord and they're destroying their life. and They're flushing their testimony and you just cry out for them. You got a lame person around you that God has put on your heart to pray for. I know you do. So me with one quick story, and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray. By the way, I'll just tell you this. I was preaching Friday night at a church. It was actually Joby's church. He, got, he was here a few months ago or so. And One of the things I was like, you try to learn from everybody. And I was like, look, and they got these, like, prayer pads at the front of their, uh, I mean, seriously, it's like old school Methodist. I mean, they had, like, prayer benches. And I'm like, all right, we got to have those. You know why? Because it was, like, anticipatory for, you know, but you can do it without prayer pads today. You're, you you can't. But six weeks from now we're going to have prayer pads. But here's 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 the here's the deal. Here's the deal is uh, there's a guy named Jim Simbola who's a pastor at Brooklyn Tab. Great guy, godly guy. And there's one book that he had. I think fresh uh, was it? Fresh wind, fresh faith, fresh fire. Um, read it a good long time ago. I want you to listen to it real quick, and then we're going to pray. Is uh, and he had a he had a daughter who was a prodigal. Her name was Chrissy. And um, Here's, I'll just read some of the, some of this part. He puts it in the book. He says, "One cold Tuesday night during the prayer meeting, I talked from Acts four about the church boldly calling on God in the face of persecution." Then we entered into a time of prayer. I mean, there, it's one of the, the Tuesday night prayer meetings, like you know, just just unlike any prayer meeting you've ever been to. And this is symbol of talk, and he says, "An usher handed me a note." A young woman whom I felt to be spiritually sensitive had written, Pastor Simbola, I feel impressed that we should stop the meeting and all pray for your daughter. He's like, I hesitated. He didn't want to change the flow and all that stuff. And he said something in the note ring true to me. And in a few minutes, I picked up the microphone, told the congregation what had just happened. And here's what he said. He said, the truth of the matter is, although I haven't talked much about it, is that my daughter is very far from God these days. She thinks up is down and down is up, dark is light and light is dark. But I know that God can break through to her and so I'm going to ask, and he asked this other pastor to come and lead an intercessory prayer for the pastor's daughter. And he said in his book, to describe what happened in the next few minutes, he said, I can only use a metaphor. He said, the church turned in to a labor room. He said, the sounds of women giving birth are not pleasant, but the results are wonderful. Wonderful. And he just said, people began to just groan and cry out to God. They arose a groaning. He said, a sense of desperate determination, as if to say, quote, Satan, you will not have this girl. Take your hands off of her. She is coming back. And he said he just got overwhelmed. He just said the he said the, the sense of that vast throng calling on God just he said it just almost literally knocked him over. And he goes on to say, when he got home that night, Carol, Carol's his wife, she's the one that wrote a lot of those. Brooklyn Tab songs. Carol was waiting up for me. We sat at the kitchen table drinking coffee, and I said, It's over. And she's like, What's over? He just said, and she, he told her about the prayer meeting. He's like, It's over. It's just a matter of time. It's over. It's just a matter of time. 32 hours later on Thursday morning, he said, As I was shaving, Carol burst through the door, her eyes wide. Go downstairs, she said. Chrissy's here. He said, Chrissy's here? Yes, go down. She just said, but go down. It's you she wants to see. So he wipes the shaving cream off, goes downstairs. He comes around the corner, and he sees his daughter on the kitchen floor. On the kitchen floor, rocking back and forth, crying and sobbing. And he says, I just said, I said, Chrissy, listen listen to what she said, church. She grabbed my pant leg and began pouring out her anguish. Daddy, daddy, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and mom. Please forgive me. My my vision was as clouded by the tears as hers. I pulled her up from the floor, held her close as we cried together, and suddenly, listen, suddenly she drew back, Daddy, who was praying for me? Who was praying for me? It's like, what do you mean? On Tuesday night, on Tuesday night, Dad, who was praying for me? She said, in the middle of the night, God woke me up and showed me I was heading toward this abyss and there was no bottom to it and it scared me to death. I was so frightened and I realized how hard I've been, how wrong I've been, how rebellious I've been. But at the same time, it was like God wrapped his arms around me and held me tight, and he kept me from sliding any further. And he said, I still love you. And she said, Daddy, tell me the truth. Who was praying for me Tuesday night? And he said, I looked into my daughter. He said, I looked into my daughter's eyes, and I finally recognized the daughter we had raised. And it went back to people who had a desperate faith, not even for themselves, but for somebody else, to say, you know what, you will not have that marriage, you will not have that prodigal, you will not destroy that family, you will not trash that testimony, you will not do it, that God is good, and until God moves, I'm going to believe on your behalf. And church, I don't know how all that works, but I do understand what happens is that when God's people cry out, God moves and moves and does His work that only He can do, and what we can try for a hundred years to do, He can do in an instant. And so, what I'm going to do is this: we're just going to we're going to do this again. Hey, you don't have you don't have uh, you don't have prayer cushions, uh, but you're tough, right? You're tough. And so, what I'm going to do, and I'm I'm going to pray, and then. They're going to play a light song. And I'm just going to ask you if there's a heaviness, if there's a desperation on your life, or you have a heaviness or a desperation for somebody else, I'm going to ask you just to get to the front of that campus that you're at and you cry out to God. You cry out to God. The Bible says this. It says, call on me in your day of trouble, and I will answer you and you will glorify me. And for a lot of us, it's like that's the day of trouble. This is the day of trouble. He says, call on me. It's not the idea of just a neat, polite, little prayer. It's the idea of a desperate prayer, crying out to God. He says, if you call on me, if you call on me, I will deliver you. And then when I deliver you, you're going to bring me honor and you're going to bring me glory. The Bible says the, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the entire earth to strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. And so I'm going to pray. And you don't even have to wait. You don't have to wait till I get through with the prayer. I mean, you can make your way up to the front of your, this church. I mean, this, this, the altar's got to be our friend again. I mean, I know it's been a tough 17 months, but listen, the altar's got to be our friend again. We're like, you know what? God wants to do business with me. God wants to do business with me. And sometimes taking some kind of physical action and getting on your knees before God, it's like, you know what? My heart is in the same posture as my physical body is. It's humbling. It's showing. You know what? I might just say, it's a lot easier to say I'm surrendering, And I'm humbling that it is to actually do it, and that sometimes helps. So I'm going to pray, and then... um Again, you can wait till amen or before I even say amen. I mean, you get to the front of this church, and whether if you're here and you want to grab your spouse, if you're blessed to be married, or if you're going through a difficult time, or you got somebody God lays on your heart or something you're desperate for, and you're just like, God, I want my parents not to get a divorce. God, I want my teammate to come. Whatever it is, you come up here and it's like, you just pour your heart out to God, and that's the way God works. So, Father, that's what we pray. I pray right now at, at every single Billmore Church location. I pray for folks watching online that they would do the same thing, that during this time that they would hit their knees if they're watching in their bedroom or in their living room, they would just cry out to you. It's like, God, you are a good God. And just like we saw a guy get changed instantaneously 2,000 years ago, a miracle, the unexplainable met the undeniable. I don't understand it but I can't deny what happened and God we need that in our marriages we need that in our prodigals we need that in our church we need that in our connect group we need that with health issues we need that in so many places and so God we want to just say we need you we need you if you don't do it it's just not going to happen we've done what we can do but we want to claim psalm fifty fifteen. you know what if we call out on you you will hear us you will deliver us and God then give us the words to give a testimony to say you know what We're going to glorify you. So we need you. I want to pray for the next couple of minutes in the Life of Our Church at every single location, online, Buncombe County Correctional Center, whatever it is, God, just do what you can do as we cry out to you in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. You just make your way to the front and you just cry out to God. And just uh, don't be embarrassed. If you got your stuff together, if you got all your stuff together, you stay where you are. God's a good God and wants to hear from you. He wants to work in a great and powerful way.